A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Listening to the Game Football Podcast from the Times. Today we react to the first leg in the Champions League semi-finals as Manchester City go to the Bernabeu and get a draw against Real Madrid. And the Milan sides go head-to-head at the San Siro. It is Inter who come out two goal winners inspired by a couple of Premier League rejects. But we'll dissect the lot of it. Should Kevin De Bruyne be considered a legend? How did Antonio Rudiger stop Erling Haaland? And can Milan in the second leg, if Rafa Liao comes back, turn the tide against their city rivals. We'll also look ahead to the championship playoff semi-finals this weekend. Big, big games. Commentary taking on Middlesbrough and Luton Town going up to Sunderland for a big match against the Black Cats. This is the game. Hello and welcome to the game podcast. Once again, I am Hugh Wizencroft. Today, alongside Gregor Robertson, Ian Hawkey and Jonathan Northcroft, looking back at the first leg of the Champions League semi-finals, we've got two fantastic games. Before we get to events of last night at the San Siro, let's begin with the English interest, if you like. Manchester City with a, a great performance, really, and a, listen, a tie that's very much going to be in the balance, I think, right until the final minute against Real Madrid. Kevin De Bruyne with a great equaliser, at the Bernabeu, it finished in a one-all draw in the semi-final first leg. Uh, at City now know, of course, if they win next Wednesday at home, they will go to a second Champions League final. It will be against either Inter Milan or AC Milan, of course. Uh, Guardiola's side dominated the early stages. Uh, Thibaut Courtois with a number of saves. Vinicius Jr., though, scoring a great opener for Real Madrid from 25 yards before in the second half. After he tested this sights a few times, Kevin De Bruyne finally hit the back of the net. Really, the question on this one, and Jonathan, I'll start with you, is whether you felt either side deserved a win because they were excellent in their periods of dominance and they they kind of traded the initiative several times. Yeah, no, I think you've summed it up very well, Hugh, actually. I don't think either side um, deserved to win, but nor did they deserve to lose. And it was a real ebb and flow of, uh, initiative of, of, of making chances of supremacy and I think one of the, the, the most delicious things about the game was that even when one side was on top the other always had the tools to counter them and uh, was always very much present in the game and in, in whatever moment that was in the game uh, it was just fascinating throughout it was what you know what the, the Champions League should be about and, and what I think we're denied a lot these days which and what I mean by that is seeing um, our top teams, by which I mean the, the English Premier League top teams, really properly tested and having to come up with solutions against teams who are doing something different to them um, and at a level that's different that to that which they face in, in the Premier League. And, and it was brilliant watching 
Real Madrid counter a fantastic City performance in ways that you don't see Premier League teams do. I mean, a couple of obvious elements would be the way that they were able to to, to deal with Erling Haaland, with, um, with Tony Rudiger's insane competitiveness and, and man-marking job, the way that Real were able to manipulate the ball under pressure and play out from the through the, the City press um, at, at certain times, the way that Ancelotti was able to um, out pep, pep at times with with Kamavinga going into midfield and you know his his tactical mastery in the game with little changes and, and tweaks throughout it. But then it was brilliant watching Manchester City show their development and and being able to rise to that and not not wilt as they have done um, when when that testing moment has happened in previous seasons. So absolutely even tie which is beautifully poised going at the Etihad um, and another 90 minutes or 90 plus minutes of that would just be fantastic. Uh, listen, we got to go into the game, but I, I like the way that you, you kind of gave us the oversight there, Jonathan. Gregor, Martin Samuel painted it as a, a coming of age performance from Manchester City, which is interesting given the kind of, you know, then firstly, the number of trophies they've won of late, but also, you know, the fantastic style of football that we've seen from them over the last five years. Um, so, so do you think we actually saw something new in Manchester City's makeup? Because they have, of course, gone away to Real Madrid before and never really felt as comfortable as they did, even though this was a draw. I can understand why, why uh, he wrote that. I think it's about control. There was a bit more control in this performance than we've seen from City against against Real Madrid in, uh, particularly. You know, I wrote, wrote a bit of an analysis about the kind of capitulation in the in the in, in injury time last year uh, and how that just, like, heads were spinning. And, you know, it was a, it was a crazy moment, that. But um, I understand what he means. This is... this the, the, thing, the thing for me that jumped out is that, you know, we're, talk, we're talking there about defensive control. Both teams had... had periods of the game where they felt ha- like comfortable and you know reasonably sort of happy to to let the other other side have the ball and they felt confident enough in their own defensive capabilities essentially that's quite new for city i think and you know part of that's to do with the, the new system that they're playing but also the thing that jumped out to me is that you know as the game ebbed and flowed you know the goals were scored when the other team were really in the, in the ascendancy so control doesn't actually matter when we talk about control and possession now. Uh, it, it, you know, even when you've got the initiative, it's this. This is this feels to me like a tie that's going to be won, even in the second leg, by just moments, moments of individual brilliance. Like Vinicius Junior can just do something like that in the break. Uh, De Bruyne can have a strike like that. Haaland might be the one to do it uh, in the second leg. You know, it it feels like despite. City having you know great control possession in the first half in particular, you know there weren't that many chances fashioned. Um, it still just feels like it's going to be a moment of brilliance from an absolute top level elite footballer, <laughs> and and that's quite it's almost quite reassuring. You know, for all the all the kind of uh, as Johnny says, it was fascinating a fascinating tactical battle. It's still a game that can you know can be won by you know players producing a moment of, of absolute wonder. Uh, and that's what both of those goals were, absolutely. Maybe that should be the difference in games of this magnitude, to be perfectly honest. Maybe we should see, 
you know, two fantastic sides full of brilliant players and brilliant moments deciding them. Um, Ian, what did you make of the 90 minutes? Maybe more so from the Real Madrid perspective. Did they encounter something that maybe they weren't expecting or maybe just something a little bit different in terms of the tests that they have faced, particularly in the Champions League in recent years? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, I, you know, Manchester City's strengths are fairly well known. And as Johnny pointed out, I think Ancelotti's planning and the, the, the operation of it by his his players, particularly the more experienced ones, um, yeah, was 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 pretty impressive, and and, and they will be pleased with all that. Um, I mean, it, it, just on the coming of age thing, it, I, I thought perhaps Madrid's best successes were were the way they clearly you know, tamed Holland to an extent, although he was more influential than, than maybe some of the dry stats suggest, um, uh, and also and 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 Jack Grealish as well. I thought Danny Carvajal did what Danny Carvajal does fairly effectively. Um, and if you look, if you, you know, if you say those two City players are the ones who have most come of age this season or been, you know, elevated City and, and elevated their own games this season, I thought Madrid mostly, mostly dealt with them pretty well. Whether they can do that for another 90 minutes at the Etihad, I think will be, will be of concern. Um, you know, you can, uh, you, you you, you can imagine Holland will have perhaps a little bit more direct influence um, in the home leg, and and Grealish, if he plays, would, would certainly be up for for something in front of his his home fans. But but overall, I, I think Madrid were reasonably satisfied. There's obviously a, a small technical point here. They're a bit sore that they think they should have had a throw in in the immediate build up to the goal. So so you know they've got that little they've got that little grudge preying on their minds, which I'm sure Ancelotti will use judiciously as an extra motivating tool. Uh, much in the way that football wasn't football without refereeing errors, football now isn't football without VAR mistakes as well. So I think it's just built in uh, to the game. I think we can stop going over it too much. Although I think I'm going to do it a little bit when we talk about the game uh, at the San Siro a little bit later on. So there you go. Anyway, um, Ian, listen, I, t I totally agree with what you're saying there. Um, I, I do think there were several battles all over the pitch that were just great to watch, really. Um, and it wasn't necessarily even players being at a brilliant level and more so about the intensity that they brought to the, the competition, the, 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 the matchups on the evening. Vinicius Jr., who I know we've mentioned already, but... You know, going up against Carl Walker in the way that they did, the hug, the embrace at the end, which I know a lot of people made um, something out of as well, just because of, you know, big smiles, big hugs at the end of the game. And it was kind of just that level of competition that was like, yeah, do you know what? I really enjoyed that in a way. In a way, I really enjoyed testing myself against you. And kind of that's why I play the game. And I think they'll relish the second leg as well. I think it would be madness, by the way, if Carl Walker doesn't start against Vinicius Jr. But it, it was engrossing, Johnny, wasn't it? those little duels and the respect between the, the players as well and, and you know the, the motif of that uh, Vinicius Walker duel was was the, the sort of the rainbow do you call it a rainbow flick is that what it is or the the, the, the the flick over his head from Vinicius but also the fact that Walker was able to uh, turn and recover and show his sort of super strength um, and the sense of sort of honours even between those two, albeit I think, well, actually, maybe you'd have to award it to finish some points because of the, the fantastic goal he scored after drifting inside. But then you had, you know, you had Rudiger Haaland and um, 
an incredible sort of old school psychological battle between the two of them. Um, the pictures that, that we've probably all seen on social media uh, following the game of Rudiger with his sort of head poking out of Haaland's armpit um, as he tries to sort of get a sight of the ball and 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 to do anything he can to to uh, disrupt Haaland. Just just fantastic, and it, it made me think. Um, that you know there are some things that, that kind of the, the, the statistical analysis and the modern way of analyzing things don't really get to the heart of and it probably is those psychological elements um when, when players go mano a mano for, you know for example rudiger made no tackles in that game um won only a third of his duels half of his headers so statistically in the modern way you'd say he had a poor game but the reality was that he went to a toe with Haaland and, and um, disrupted Haaland in a way that, that very, very few people have been able to do, if any, in the Premier League. Uh, and it was magnificent to watch. But I do take Ian's point that it will be slightly different um, for Rudiger and Haaland in the, in the second leg, where you expect Haaland to, to be a lot more in, in play. Gregor, watching Vinicius Jr. made you want to pull the boots on again, didn't it? Oh my God! I couldn't think of anything worse than facing a guy like that. I mean, that's the th- that is the thing about Kyle Walker. It's just it's such a, you know, knowing that you have someone who can just about keep pace with him, uh, you know, that's a, it's a remarkable weapon to have. Because if you don't, then it's like just the fear he induces in 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 defences and opposition is is extraordinary. I mean, he still does, but as I say, City have a little bit of sucker in knowing that. Um, that Kyle Walker can keep pace, so that was a yeah, that was a fascinating battle. Uh, I thought the midfield was quite interesting too. I mean, City like you know with Stone stepping in and City sort of outnumbering Madrid in the first for much of the first half, and then Camavinga stepping in from left back in the second half, and Real sort of re reasserting themselves there and getting control of of the middle of the pitch. That was that was really interesting battle too. And look, I also think we we're talking about what's Haaland's sort of influence in this game going to be in, in the second leg we've got to say the same about Benzema he usually, he usually is the deciding factor for Real Madrid and you know if it was one of his slightly quieter games um, I wouldn't be sure if that would be the case in the second leg you're, you're right to raise those points I think there are so many subplots that we'll see the Etihad next week and so many more players who could put in a brilliant performance you're right to bring up the midfield, though. I felt at times it was all they were almost predictably good, the central midfielders. You know, there were a couple of periods where Real Madrid kind of upped the tempo with the one-touch passing, and you kind of remember, you watch all those videos on social media of the little rondos and stuff over the past sort of five or six years, and you remember just how much quality there is with the ball at their feet and so much um, comfort in those players that have played together for some time. But in Camavinga stepping in from the left, I thought he had a brilliant performance. And again, point, points at the finger to the future when they brought Shuameni off the bench. Uh, and he had that rasping drive. I thought, oh, this guy could have started the game and he would have been pretty good as well. Kind of missed out on him. And, you know, wasn't a bad player at the World Cup either. It kind of, you know, rumours of Jude Bellingham, you kind of think, what's the next generation of Real Madrid going to be like? You know, Modric was... Um, predictably good, you know, in terms of what he does with the ball, his ability to cover the ground, the fact that he's just still got a bit of speed in the legs as well, little as they might be, you know, he's just an incredible 
incredible player and we're going to see so many of them on show next week uh, to go back to the points i guess that martin samuel made about a coming of age performance i think all of you know that i am constantly gripey if that's a word about uh, manchester city and changing tactics going into big games um maybe the manager throwing the players off in terms of picking a side that they don't predict but um i felt in in this game they managed it particularly well. So when it comes to a coming of age, I almost felt like as great a manager as Pep is. Felt like he was secondary. Ancelotti has it felt like that for a while in terms of, you know, he's no Guardiola on the touchline in that, you know, he's so experienced now. He's so relaxed. He has so much uh, trust in his players that he, apart from obviously the decision that he felt should have gone in his side's way, he's not there screaming out instructions and, um, not as desperate to talk to his players in the way that Guardiola is. So I felt like in terms of coming of age, as great as Pep has been, you know, I, I think the trust that he seemed to have in his players during that game, particularly by making no substitutions, it's something that he has done before. You know, he said on occasions when it hasn't gone their way, you know, I felt the players out there you know, had things under control, so I left them to it. Um, he, he doesn't usually do it vocally, but I felt he was kind of in the shadows. It, it, you know, it was just a game where you watched and thought collection of brilliant players being allowed to do what they do. The managers not trying to, you know, put their stamp on it too much, just saying, we know what we're doing. Let's go out there, may the best team win. And maybe that played into, um, I think, some of the head-to-head matchups as well, because it was just, you know, let Antonio Rudiger do his thing. Let Erling Haaland go and prove that he is as good as everyone thinks he is despite the goals that he scored and as we mentioned some of the other matchups all over the pitch so in that way it was the, just the purity that maybe you know took us back to a, a bygone era where we weren't pouring over the stats and all of that stuff so uh, listen I really really enjoyed the game and I'm going to find it impossible to call um, there is one player one other player that we haven't mentioned really as yet and who I think deserves mention uh, Ian I'll come to you on this Kevin De Bruyne uh top draw player as we all know but in terms of his legacy we we heard as we do you know it might be reactionary um you know that kind of does De Bruyne get in the skulls Lampard Gerrard conversation now does he need to win the Champions League to do it for me I think he's above at least two of those players really but um does he need a Champions League to be considered one of the greats go on Ian um I, I think I think I suspect that Kevin De Bruyne's answer would be um Yes, um, he's a, 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 he's he's a strange combination of enormous self belief, isn't he? Clearly, from from the way he plays and sometimes the way he talks, but also he's got he's got quite a sort of measured assessment of value and, and greatness and so on. So um, you know, I, I imagine he'd say yes, and, and clearly that he'd very much like to. Um, and and he was he was particularly. Uh, unfortunate, wasn't he, in the the last time? Well, the only time City had been in the final um, when he was um, when he was quite badly hurt by Rudiger. I think I've got that right. Um, so, I, I, well, I, I imagine ev- everybody who enjoys football and enjoys watching talent and vision would like Kevin De Bruyne to to, to win a Champions League. And and I mean, the, the you know the the comparisons you've made yes i mean i, I think he, absolutely he's he's in that he's in that bracket of premier league players he's been you know he's has there been a more important city player 
overall in the Guardiola era. I don't know. I'll leave it to you guys to point out someone I've forgotten. But um, yeah, I mean, terrific. And, and what a lovely goal and what a lovely moment. And what a lovely way to, to, to elevate a really magnificent game and, and do so on the, you know, on the same pitch with Modric and, and Tony Cruz and, and all those other players sort of, of of his generation, you know, who are, you know, with whom he is an absolute equal, I would say. The strike was, was exquisite. Like the way, you know, it's kind of shuffling your feet to adjust to, to make the strike really quickly. And then, it sort of follow through. It's like a golf swing. You sort of see his legs swinging through, and his other coming up almost on, a, on the spot, uh, and it's fizzing past Courtois. Another thing that that strike kind of hammered home to me is like how big Courtois is. I don't mean like in stature. I mean how important he is. How good you have to be to beat him. Like how important has he been in Real Madrid's sort of dominance in Europe over, in recent years? And it was a, a magnificent strike, and it had to be to beat him and. Like he's another huge, huge strength for for Real Madrid. Like he's he's I think he's the best goalkeeper in the world. Is De Bruyne already a great legacy confirmed for you, Johnny? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne is a, an absolute great a player we'll be talking about for years. Um, and yeah, Ian's right. I think you could come up with other names: David Silva, you know, Gundogan's longevity, Guerrero. Haaland, but, but De Bruyne is the emblem really of, of Pep Guardiola's Man City and um, he's always in some ways the player he's reminded me most of is Steven Gerrard throughout his career and with apologies to Steven I think he's probably slightly better um, all round um, and that's a Steven Gerrard thing that he did, that ability to um, in, in, in the sort of biggest moment um, just come up with something incredible when this team needed him. It was another one that underlined uh, how how good he is. And uh, yes, it was it was Rudiger who forearm smashed him in the last Champions League final. And yes, it would be it'd be a great arc for him to to come back and 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 finally get a Champions League on his CV. Ian, do you think Real Madrid can do it? Uh, I, I think they certainly can do it, but I would make City favourites. Um, I think I think um, just favourites for City. Gregor, no, I think it's fifty-fifty on a knife edge. Like I don't, I don't think Etihad is going to be a daunting. Uh, like, I, I don't think they, I don't think the home advantage gives City the edge, but it's, it's close. It's too hard to call. I, I almost don't want to give my opinion on this. Anytime you say anything negative about Real Madrid, I don't know how they they've just got so many fans everywhere. They just come out the woodwork with the abuse which is a surprising one, to be perfectly honest, but there you go. Uh, if you say that they're not going to be successful, you know, despite all the joy and all success that their fans have had, uh, they're all over you, you know. So, you know, I don't even want to speak. If I speak, I'll be in big, big trouble. So um, I, I, there's part of me that just thinks City at home are so, so good. Um, and they've been in a great... Um, mood if you like recently with a winning run in the Premier League that I think it will be incredibly tough and you forget you forget due to how the game panned out that actually Manchester City started so so well and if they can do that again at the Etihad and if they can get on the score sheet early on I think it could be a very difficult night for Real Madrid they won the Champions League last year but I don't think we can forget they really had to pull it out of the bag in several ties um due to poor performances, so um, particularly away from home. So 
if they need to if they perform badly away from home again, it is a big if, obviously. Then then I'm not gonna say firm favourites. I'm not even gonna say slight favourites. I'm gonna say I think City are the favourites. Is that is that some kind of medium like I'll give them a sixty five percent chance. That's a lot, as far as I'm concerned. So um so yeah, Madrid fans, you can at me after that one, whatever abuse you wanna send. I do want to ask you a quick question, Gregor, about the weekend for Manchester City. They go to Goodison Park to face Everton. I mentioned earlier, Guardiola made no subs. So what kind of team are you expecting to see? Obviously, they're still going for the Premier League title. And yes, we know the predicament that Everton are in. Does it have the possibility of affecting them enough if they change you know, it might be seven, eight players. Who knows with Guardiola? Uh, if he really wants to give the team that played a rest, a full rest, could that affect their title bid? It could. It could potentially, particularly after Everton's uh, last result against Brighton. Um, I expect a much changed team. I think Mares, probably Alvarez will come in. De Bruyne will get a rest, definitely. Uh, possibly Laporte at the back. Um, I think there'll be a lot of changes, but look... It's still, you'd still envisage City uh, being strong enough to to get the three points they need. But this is the thing. This has always always been the thing that because they're fighting on so many fronts, and Arsenal weren't. Uh, it was, you know, you could never say that, that this was over, um, and the, the sort of dynamic at, at Goodison has shifted a little bit in in the last couple of weeks. So um, it will be a big test for them, but I still expect them to to win that game, even with a much changed team. Well, I think, listen, that's a game that we'll have to dissect, Gregor, on Monday. Uh, but off the back of a big, big win uh, over Brighton, I think if they can bring some of that into their game at Goodison Park and some goodwill from the fans, it could be a difficult afternoon uh, for Manchester City if they make a huge number of changes. Bit of a banana peel it's turned into. We'll see. Anyway, listen, let's move to events of last night at the Giuseppe Miazza Stadium. Inter Milan taking a massive step towards reaching the Champions League final. They beat their city rivals in the Milan derby. Inter making the perfect start. Edin Dzeko um, volleying home in the eighth minute. Milan stunned three minutes later when Henrik Mkhitaryan basically waltzed through. I mean, it was the freedom of the city, wasn't it? Uh, to make it 2-0. They had chances. Cholanolu hit a post uh, as well. They had a penalty awarded. Lataro Martinez followed by Simon Kier. Um, and that was overturned on VAR. For me, rightly so. Some saying there was a little bit of contact. Don't know why Martinez didn't just go and have the shot, but um, we'll wonder if that will come back to haunt him. Anyway, let's find out what you thought about the game because, Jonathan, for me, the, the, the main feeling was that Milan froze, really, at the, the worst possible time. They were just way off it, particularly in that first half. Yeah, they did. It was, um, it was a first half where... They, they, they must have been delighted to only be 2-0 down. I, I, you know, after the first 10 minutes, you thought this is going to be done in the first half an hour. Um, it was... They were just so easy to play through. Um, now, I, I think Inter have been a more, a more convincing team throughout the Champions League campaign. So, you know, perhaps it, it, it was... It, that should have told us something, and it wasn't the greatest shock that they were the better team, but it was a shock to see quite how open Milan were and and how um, 
you know, just it's it's not it's not like they it's not like they 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 couldn't have expected intensity. It's not like they couldn't have expected the occasion. It was it was the, yeah maybe maybe froze is the maybe froze is the best the best way of putting it. Um, I think I think Inter have to have to take a lot of credit too though with with the I mean the goal Jacko scored was just so good that that gives incredible momentum to a team um, and 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 it punches the opposition in the guts. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, the, the best players were in the Inter team, weren't they? Dumfries, Barella, um, Jacko himself. Um, it was, you know, even, even Darmian looked like a, a, a really, really, really good player, didn't he? Um, which he did do, to be fair, at some points in his United career, um, and he had one of those nights. I, it's probably still a, a bit in the balance. Um, but there'd have to be a, a huge improvement from Milan to 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 make that a proper game, and I, I think I've got a personal feeling that it, it would be better for Inter to go at the final anyway, just just because I think they 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 pose more of a threat to either City or, or Real Madrid and 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 make it uh, make it more interesting. Four wins in fourteen games now for Milan, Ian. Um, and now Inter on a run of six straight wins in all competitions. Did you? Is it? Is it what you expected? This is the fourth meeting between the sides this season. Uh, no, it's not. Um, uh, I, I didn't think Milan would be quite so flaccid um, for the first half, but I, I guess we were partly reminded that this is actually quite a young team overall. You know, don't be distracted by. Olivier Giroud, and try not to be distracted by Zlatan Ibrahimovic sitting in the stands, um, even though he did seem to have a lot of attention from the cameraman. Um, the, uh, it, they are quite a young team, and they they looked a very naive team defensively. Suddenly, didn't they? And 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 I and I think you're probably right that the the occasion, the atmosphere, which was absolutely raucous, um, you know, perhaps affected some of the younger players than it would. You know, someone as worldly as Edin Dzeko, who I think actually is the elephant in the room here, isn't he? Should Manchester City ever have let such an accomplished centre forward go? I mean, it's all very well this whippersnapper Holland, but the best centre forward in, <laughs> in the semi-final so far has been by miles Edin Dzeko. It was, uh, yeah, he was terrific, and 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 Inter did play very much play to their strengths. Um, Dzeko was picked ahead of. Lukaku and turned out to be just the, the the target man they needed. Chalanoglu with his delivery, which is on his day, which is magnificent. I thought was superb. And and Lautaro was was you know making mischief all the time. And and Barella was excellent running running a midfield, which really had very little resistance in that first half. Um, there is you know there is there is a, a hope for. Milan, in that their best attacking player, Rafael Leao, who was injured yesterday and, and, and missed terribly, um, might be back. And and he was, I think there's been a lot of Milan derbies this season. Yeah, he was he was very much the match winner in the first one in the league. Um, Inter of Inter won, won three on the trot now. Um, but yeah, so you know, Rafael Leao will, will certainly change the dynamic if if he's if he's fit enough to play the ninety minutes, and they'll they'll do everything to make sure he can. Um, but you know, Inter Inter are, are quite worldly, and for all their slightly neurotic history, 
throwing away advantages. I, I, I think this should, this should be safe for them. Yeah, I think part of it was the feeling that, despite the success of Milan, who were Italian champions last season, uh, and into the season before that, you felt like the core of the, the inter-team had been together a little bit longer, maybe, you know, had been through a little bit more. They just felt a little bit more, more, more wily. Maybe it was um, the likes of Dzeko that made the difference and Barella and Cholanolu. You know, there, there were a few in there for that inter-team. You know, it was a mature performance from them. Um, just on Manchester City and whether they made the right decision, it's three goals in the last two games from a 37-year-old Edin Dzeko, but he did go 20 games without scoring before that. So I think that's a pretty simple answer <laughs> to that question. Um, but it was great for him anyway. Becomes the ninth player um, to score 20 Champions League goals over the age of 30, still going. Um, but yeah, I think in the game, I was I was highly disappointed by Milan, who, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think maybe they froze. I don't know what it was really because the first eight minutes were kind of really entertaining. I know it was only eight minutes, but then when the ball went in the back of the net, there was a feeling that they were shell-shocked, if you like. And, you know, a lot is made about Rafael Leal coming back or missing for the game, and I understand that, but he's not going to be playing centre-half. Gregor, we saw an England defender for Kaio Tomori uh, and Simon Kier in the heart of the Milan defence. And at times, they were all over the place, particularly in that first half where you felt this can't be a Champions League semi-final, really. Yeah, I, I just thought that AC Milan, I was almost shouting at the TV, they did nothing to deal with uh, Milan's clear ploy of basically playing through um, AC Milan's press, either over or through, finding Dzeko, and Dzeko was helping it on almost first time for Martinez. They did nothing to you know, get you, try and get a man on his toes, to... Uh, look, Tomori, it was it was said afterwards as well. Tomori had a difficult evening. He was he was facing a really physical striker, and when there was so much space, like there was no, it's just completely unmanned midfield for AC Milan. There was no one in front of him. There was no support really. Having that tussle was a was a very difficult night for him. Um, so like, uh, but I mean, you have to you have to give Inter credit. They 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 played really smart. They made the pitch big, but in a kind of unusual way. They got the, their back three got got on the ball but very deep there was, there was a moment in the in the first half in fact where Bastoni was on the ball and someone was closing him down and he kept kind of holding off holding off until he was like two yards away and he played it back to the goalkeeper like on the six yard box and then he passed out wide to to Di Marco on the left it was really brave but they were trying to you know not quite like Brighton but I think they were really trying to draw AC Milan forward and then play over them and uh, it was so obvious, and AC Milan just did nothing to, to counter that all night. Jacob was brilliant, though. Let's come to the penalty decision, shall we? Johnny, what did you think? Lataro Martinez going down. There looked like there was a little flick, a little bit of contact in the feet, foot, ankle area, slight, and a slight touch with the hand uh, on the torso as well. Enough to make Martinez go down, but interestingly, in terms of the debate, was it a clear and obvious error that the referee uh, saw that he, he felt he needed to, to overturn it? No, I, I didn't like the way the, <clears throat> the whole thing unfolded, actually. I mean, on video evidence, it didn't look a penalty. OK, that's, that's fine. But it looked like there was um, an incident where some contact did take place, so there was a question mark. Now, 
for me, and this, this is a principle, the person best judged to decide that is a referee in a good position on the pitch, which the referee was. He was he was five or six yards away and um, placed to gauge the strength of that contact and the legality of that contact in a way that you can't really do so by um, by, by looking at, at pictures. And he made his decision. And I have no idea why there was a need to, to then change that decision because what he allowed himself to do was was to to, to basically um second guess himself uh, he, he was there he was perfectly placed he saw the strength of the contact um and then he made the decision on something else entirely which was um the the video pictures of it and i i i just I, you know if if the video pictures had shown there was no contact fine um then he did he would have made a clear and obvious error but Actually, there was no clear and obvious error. He changed his opinion on the strength of contact based on what he saw on video and allowed that to override what he saw on the pitch. And for me, yes, us watching on TV didn't look a penalty, but we weren't on the pitch. We weren't the trained referees. We weren't there. He said it was a penalty and he should have stuck with it. Agree, Ian? Um, uh, yes, I, I, I totally agree. Um, it, I, I mean, I think it was a penalty full stop. So therefore, the, I think the referee made the right decision. Uh, Simon Kier reached out an arm to try and impede the player. Um, <laughs> incidentally, um, I mean, the one thing all these VAR replays did show is how totally alert Lautaro was to where exactly where the referee was very well positioned as, as Johnny points out but that face I mean as he was falling um you know he, he got into total thorough ultra deluxe beseeching mode like I, I completely get what the guys are saying about the riff the riff and the VAR you know the whole system was a muddle um but I think I don't know, it's one of those very modern fouls, uh, penalty decisions where everyone says it's an absolute, you know, it's a penalty. He touched them when the, when the contact was like, you know, barely there. It was what I actually found myself thinking that's good defending because he got, he was beaten and he got, a, what, what you do when you're beaten is you get a hand on the, the forward and do it, touch them enough without giving away a foul to kind of just slow them by a fraction of a second do anything to put them off and that's what he did but Martinez bought it brilliantly like as soon as he felt it he spun round and gave the, gave the referee a decision to make and I understand why he pointed the spot and from there it should have been a penalty but uh, the defender in me doesn't like that that's a penalty yeah I've said it many times on the podcast I just felt and I think we'll all agree possibly on it that that you used to have to foul a player clearly for it to be exactly. a foul. And I didn't see a clear foul, but in terms of the system and the VAR and the um, the factors that go into overturning a decision, we didn't see that either. That was the issue, really. It probably shouldn't have been given in the first place. Once it was given and we saw the, the little nudges, the contact there, well, that must have been what the decision was given for in the first place, unless the referee really felt, oh, I thought there was a clear trip on Martinez and that wasn't the case you know unless that video showed something that he thought he saw in real time but then didn't see on the video if he gave it for the arm coming out onto the player well it was clear on the video that that's what happened so 
you know, I think the, the, in a way, I don't want to see it given, but once it was, it probably should have stood. And I, I just hope it doesn't come back to be a big factor. Hopefully it's not a big factor in terms of the outcome of the tie, because I still thought it was an engrossing a tie, particularly in the second half. There were chances, there were a couple of big chances for Milan that despite the result and not scoring, they could maybe take a bit of confidence into the second leg. I know it will, will of course, be in their home stadium, but that was their home tie. So they will face all of the Nerazzurri, all of the um, Inter fans next week. And that may play a part in terms of the result. You know, I did want to ask you about the reaction to it, though, because, you know, you can go extreme. A lot of football uh, media do go quite extreme around results. How do you think this result will be seen in Italy and how will it be perceived by both camps? Um, well, there's there's all, already a, a you know a fair amount of uh, Rafael Leal, um, you know can he can he pull this back? How much how how dependent uh, Milan are on him? Which which as you pointed out earlier is a bit exaggerated. He's not going to he's not going to be playing in the middle of defence. Um, uh, I, I mean I think I think the there has been there was a slight distraction. Milan have have a really good defensive record in the Champions League since the group phase, early in which they were beaten by by Chelsea quite heavily. But they, um, you know, they, they kept the Harry Kane team at bay over two legs. They only conceded in injury time of the second leg against free scoring Napoli. So, you know, this that was that was a, a basis to get some confidence on. Clearly this was not the defence uh, we saw in the first half um, last night. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, there has been, uh, there has been a little bit of criticism of, of naivety. Um, I, I mentioned their youth earlier and, uh, Pioli's come in for, for a bit of stick as well for, as, as Gregor pointed out, you know, not, not being able to deal with some fairly simple, if well rehearsed, uh, tactical planning from, from Inter. Um, I, I, and it, it you know, but there's a belief that, that you know on paper it is it is still alive. Um, but I think, as as Johnny said earlier, I think there's a sort of the, the neutrals in Italy feel that it, the team that they they want to go as second favourites into the final, which which clearly either of these two clubs would be, would probably be Inter because because of their their worldliness, their experience, their a higher level of sort of, of, of competence. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I think, I think we, we've acknowledged for some time that the, the final is the favorites for the final are going to come from the other tie. And in fact, I was looking last night and just wondering how many players on the pitch would get into either city or Madrid's teams. And I came up with quite a short list. Um, Di Marco maybe because left back is somewhere that Madrid and, and, and City haven't you know perhaps resourced as as well as they could, but that was about it. Maybe even Bastoni. I don't know what the what, what you think. Yeah, I think personally, uh, I love Barella. I think he's absolutely yes. fantastic. Um, Liao obviously has a bright future and has been playing some great football. Um, it's very, very short. I can't think of many others who I'd say, yeah, absolute standout. I think, obviously, there are players in there that um, the managers, Ancelotti, Guardiola, they could definitely improve and turn into better players 
than they are. And they're all they're, they're very good players, but you know there is no real standout world class player in there for me, Gregor. Yeah, I mean it's definitely a short list. Clearly, there's a lot of ex Premier League players uh, on show in this game as well. And um, I, as Ian said, I would say Alessandro Bastoni. I thought I was impressed with him. Um, left-sided defender. I'd you know, be interested to see him tested a little bit more defensively, but it's clearly on the ball he's he's, uh, he's quite a weapon, actually. Um, so, but beyond that, it's pretty pretty slim pickings. But that, look, it's not a great surprise, is it? It's, it sort of demonstrates the strength of of uh, of the Premier League and, and Real Madrid <laughs> compared to the rest, really. I'm tempted to say the tie's over, to be honest. I think if the second leg is as close as we expected the first leg to be, then the two-goal cushion will be the difference for Inter Milan. So I think they will be going through to their sixth Champions League final, the three-time winners. We will uh, find out, of course, in midweek next week. But yeah, a big advantage for Simone Inzaghi's men uh, going into their home leg back at the Giuseppe Miazza Stadium. Um, listen, up next, we're going to look ahead to the Championship playoff semi-finals. It will be just Gregor Robertson and myself. So at this point, I'd like to thank Ian Orkey and Jonathan Northcross for being with us uh, to look back at the Champions League football. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, Hugh. Watch those Madridistas. I will, I will avoid them as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Right, Gregor, let's dive into the championship playoff semi-finals. I know there are a lot of uh, semi-finals going on in the EFL. Too many for us to get through, but I do think the carrot of a place in the Premier League and most importantly, discussion points on the game podcast next year uh, would be, you know, the thing that we needed to, to discuss most. So let's talk about the first one, Saturday, Sunderland taking on Luton Town. Uh, you'll remember Sunderland sneaking into the top six on the final day after Millwall's collapse. Um, to many people, they are the underdog Sunderland. Luton finished third in the table against the odds. Another great season for them, this time under Rob Edwards. They were beaten semi-finalists a year ago. And, of course, with one of the smaller budgets in the league, that continue to punch above their way. Uh, Sunderland are a team, Gregor, that I've loved to watch this season. And I almost think that Sunderland will need goals, goals, goals in this one because Luton don't score a huge number. However, obviously... Unbeaten in 14 games, they don't concede many either. Yeah, um, and kind of Sunderland, they've got a really patched together defence. Luke and Irons had to play a large point, large part of uh, recent weeks as a kind of auxiliary centre half. I think there's some doubt over uh, both fullbacks as well. I think Gooch as well, maybe. Um, so you're right, and they have been. Look, Tony Mowbray's sides are often. All about the kind of free flowing football and the attacking side seems to seems to be the most important for them, and this has been no different. And so many kind of young players who've been re-energized by them, um, you know, like Jack Clark, who obviously had a, a earned a move from Leeds to to Tottenham Hotspur and didn't really get an opportunity there. He's been in brilliant form. Ahmed Diallo is alone from Manchester United. Patrick Roberts, who earned a move from Fulham to Manchester City and spent time at Celtic. So we've got some great attacking players and, you know, spent a large part of the season without a real recognised centre-forward or their number one centre-forward. Sunderland are going to have to score goals against a pretty obdurate Luton side. They aren't a side that hugely controls possession in the middle of the park. So managing the balance of a tie over two legs, I think, will be hard for them. Um, 
and this is not to say that Sunderland are any better. I just want to see a little bit more from Luton's central midfielders. You know, their forward, Carlton Morris, has been great. He could be the, the, the I think, the decisive factor. But then you look at the three centre-backs from Luton as well. They've been absolutely fantastic. Sonny Bradley announced to be leaving the club. So a little bit of a farewell for him. He'll desperately want uh, to be heading to Wembley and who knows, putting Luton into the Premier League. I think they go for it. They throw the kitchen sink at Luton. Um, they try and ride the quest, crest of playing at home and um, and who knows, could take them through to Wembley. Um, and I'm looking forward to that one. The next one is a cracker. Coventry against Middlesbrough on Sunday. Coventry actually won 2-1 last weekend. It was their final league match. They went head-to-head. Borough head into the playoffs without a win in their past three games. They lost at both Luton and Rotherham before the draw against Coventry. Um, Coventry extending their unbeaten run to seven games. They're trying to get back into the Premier League for the first time since 2001. Gregor, I think this is a really tough assignment for Michael Carrick and Borough. Many people's favourites. Um, there's great stories everywhere you look, but this is a, an incredible story for both of these clubs from where they were in the first few months of the season to be three within three games of the Premier League is extraordinary. And also, you know, we're talking about Coventry side who were in League Two when Mark Robbins took took the reins and what he's had to deal with off the pitch as well. Well, consistently producing a win inside on the pitch um, as as it would argue would be the the story of the season if Coventry were promoted. Two players to look out for on the Coventry side: Gustavo Hamer, a creative number ten, gets on the score sheet as he did last weekend. Got a bit of a knock, but. Um, He's certainly the beating heart of the creative force, if you like. Linking up with Victor Jokerez, linked with Wolves today. He's going to be a Premier League player next season, I am sure. Um, I think he scored something like 24 goals uh, this season in the Championship. Maybe just about got to double figures in assists as well. But um, if he is truly at it, they're a very difficult team to stop. Borough, of course, um, had the the player of the season in the shape of Tuba Akpon, top scorer in the league. They've got Cameron Archer stretching the line as well. If they can get in behind uh, Coventry's defence, then they're a team that can score fours and fives. So um, Middlesbrough is certainly a team to look out for if they're at top form. The real question is, can they be at top form? Fight for everything, Coventry. You know, they've still got that underdog mentality. It's almost the perfect tie for them because... Like I say, a lot of people have put Middlesbrough down as their favourites. So Coventry will go on to, into that game with no one thinking they can do it except for them. And that's kind of the, the mindset that Mark Robbins will want them to be in. Um, and yeah, I, look, this one's very difficult to call for me. Coventry or Borough, we shall find out. Um, I think we've got two cracking playoff semi-finals here on our hands. First legs to come this weekend. Check them out if you can. Probably going to be a lot better than some of the Premier League games on TV this weekend. Uh, and Gregor and I will try to discuss them on Monday morning as well as we look ahead uh, to the second legs, which are next week, midweek too. So that's it for the game podcast. Gregor, thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. My thanks to Jonathan Northcroft and Ian Hawkey once again. Remember, check out the game if you can. It'll be out on Monday in the newspapers. Before then, loads of great writing. Uh, tomorrow's Friday, all the previews for the weekend. Great interviews to come from our favourite Alison Rudd as well on Saturday. So make sure you check it out. You can download the Times app. You can uh, subscribe to the game online. It's the times.co.uk forward slash the game. And of course, you can pick up a paper too. Jonathan Northcroft 
in the Sunday Times, as usual, writing for you off the back of Saturday's game. So make sure you check him out as well. And we will see you on Monday. Enjoy your weekends. Take care.